saw a lot of things that I didn't know how to process as a child. And so I took those really deep woundings into my teenage years. I was a very rebellious teenager, going to church, playing the Christian part, really had everybody fooled, including myself, <laughs> living a complete, you know, double life. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Are you going through deep waters today? Do you need a fresh touch of God in your life right now? Stay close today, raw faith. What happens when God picks a fight? Casey Van Norman joins us. I love the way you love like no other. It's got nothing to do with anything that I do. And time and time again you forgive me. So this time I choose to stay here with you. Welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But I know this. Close the door. Turn the radio up. Dial this one in. Our special guest today, Casey Van Norman. She's the founder and president of Casey Van Norman Ministries in College Station, Texas. She's the author of the book and Bible study called Named by God. Casey's a full-time counselor at Still Creek Ranch. It's a nonprofit home and a Christian school in Bryan, Texas. It's a place where kids who need a safe and loving environment can go. She's also an advocate and a counselor for Restore Her Ministry. It's a branch of Still Creek that rescues and extends Christ's love to victims of sex trafficking. Casey lives with her husband, Justin, and their two kids in College Station, Texas. Raw faith, what happens again when God picks a fight? Casey, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Man, it is an honor to be here. There's something about you. You've got some extra juice in you. You've got some extra fire inside. But Casey, what was it like growing up? I mean, did you always have that kind of energy and, and, and just dynamo to you? You know, God always wired me pretty type A. I had a lot of passion, you know. Passion can go really, really good or really, really bad, depending on who's guiding it. And so for the majority of my life, I was guiding that passion and that fire on my own terms. It took me in a lot of bad places. And I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, had a lot of uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, had an alcoholic father, saw a lot of things that didn't know how to process as a child. And so I took those really deep woundings into my teenage years. I was a very rebellious teenager. All the while, during the day, going to church, playing the Christian part, really had everybody fooled, including myself, <laughs> that I was a good Christian girl. And when the lights went out, living a complete you know, double life, just as a hypocrite and a phony and a fake, and so busy doing the things of God that I missed God and living a very rebellious life out of that deep wound. I was a cutter. I was very sexually promiscuous. I pretty much dabbled into anything, trying to find that high and that healing and, and all the things external. Took it into my marriage, five years into my marriage to just a wonderful man who uh, saved himself for marriage, who loved me dearly, had an affair, committed adultery and betrayed him. And for three years inside my marriage was, was in and out of this affair. 
God wrecked me for that, brought me to a place where I could no longer even hold the, the lie and the sin on the outside of that place, attempted to take my life because that really seemed like something that was going to benefit everyone seems better for me than, than staying in this life. And so I attempted to take my life after uh, had a really rough time with the church. We were involved in church, and instead of coming alongside us, the church pushed us out and, you know, really had the scarlet letter on my head and just one of the most horrific seasons of my life. And all this before the age of 30, the Lord being gracious and faithful despite my unfaithfulness, He pulled me up out of that a suicide attempt that would have succeeded on human terms, but he intervened in a divine way, and he brought me up out of that place so that, that I would never be able to boast in that, that you know, I could never look to any other man or any other thing to bring me up out of that place, but it was only his mercy, love, and grace alone, and, his, and he redeemed uh, my marriage. He restored my marriage. My husband showed the forgiveness of Jesus Christ right there in front of me for the very first time in my life. I begin to grasp and understand a forgiveness that Jesus had for me despite my what I did. It, it was a beautiful thing. And so we, we were trekking along, and, and God was being so uh, good to us, and our, our children are healthy and well, and we're doing all these things in the church, wonderful things. And I uh, get the phone call at the age of 31 that I had cancer, that I had incurable cancer, that's where we come today when God picks a fight. I'd written the book in Bible study named by God, which was that place of coming up out of the adultery and the sin and wrestling with redemption and restoration and forgiveness and what that looks like, how Jesus does that work in our life. So named by God was just that new name that he put on me. And then just bam, thinking I'm on this track with God and got this new book out and going to go minister to lives and Suddenly, my whole world is flipped upside down with the call that I have cancer. So here we are with this title, What Happens When God Picks a Fight. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Casey, I want to make sure everyone understands this. The redemptive power of God is alive in your life. You're kind of like on an explosive uh, vertical climb before this phone call. I mean, seriously, in Christianity, you're going. And it's like, whoa, the message is unbelievable. Women are just gravitating to you. And then, what was it, October 25th, I think, 2011, the phone call comes. Right. Your gynecologist does an ultrasound. Take us into what he told you. So I was having a lot of pain in my side. And just to be clear, because that is this powerful thing, not just for me, but what God told me after coming out of all of that mess and that junk and him uh, bringing me back and drawing me to him, that is the authentic place that men and women and, and just humankind across the spectrum will gravitate to because Jesus is in the authentic details of our story. He's in the honesty and the vulnerability of who we are, the stuff that we have been through that the world rejects and the world sees as ugly and broken. Um, that's exactly what Jesus uses. That's exactly what he uses. He doesn't use the things of this world that are great and grand. He uses the poor and the powerless and the broken and the humble people of the world that are willing to tell those places. So that's what's incredible. It's all I knew before getting the phone call that I had cancer is that I was supposed to tell my story. And so I just started doing that and inviting people into this place with me. And it's breathtaking. It will blow your mind. The stories that I hear 
when I allow people into that place with me. So I'm 31 years old, and, and I have this horrific pain in my side. It's, it's Long story short, find out that I had an ovary just completely rupture. So they rushed me in, do an emergency hysterectomy. They find while they're in there a, a golf ball-sized mass in my abdomen. My surgeon at the time, praise the Lord, and that's a whole divine story in itself. I, I don't have time to tell, but he was just speaking into her ear, telling her to scrape it out. It's been hours. She was being mocked and laughed at in the operating room by the other surgeons saying, you know, you're a fool, just leave it there, it's nothing come to find out it's, it's lymphoma. It's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three, the in, incurable kind. Um, if anybody who's had cancer or struggling with that or has been through chemotherapy, you know, you just feel like kind of cattle being prodded through a pen, you know, you, which is pretty common here in Texas, but that's really what you, you feel like is you just suddenly you're doing chemo and, and you don't have any hair and you feel like a semi-truck has hit you and you can't get up out of bed and you're not the person that you were just a few months ago. And, that was what knocked me out from under myself so quickly is just really the chemo because I was pretty asymptomatic before. I, I didn't have any symptoms of cancer. So then suddenly to be so sick and really dying from the toxins that are in my body now. Casey, hope was fading on you too. Yeah. Early on, I mean, it was pretty dark as I was going through your story. It, it was just ugly. Talk to people who are wrestling, Casey, just for a moment. The wind isn't just knocked out of them. They've been sucker punched so hard, and they feel so alone and so lost, and the emotion is just everywhere. It's bouncing all over the place, and they don't know what to do or say. What was it like for you in that moment? You know, Isaiah 43 is what I want to speak over people right now that feel overwhelmed by life, by disease, by betrayal, by relationships, and you know, Isaiah 43 says, I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. The interesting thing about this verse is that it's God saying, when all of this happens. So it's not a question of will trial or suffering or pain come. God is loving and gracious in the fact that he says, this is going to happen to you, pain and trial and suffering. You're going to feel like you have been sucker punched, like I have picked a fight with you. But the most beautiful thing that completely changed my life was understanding that this was God. All of this, all this stuff that the world doesn't want to recognize and wants to push God in a corner and wants to just say, this isn't the God, you know, oh, he doesn't do those things. He's not a God of pain. He's not a God of suffering or trial. Then who is he? If he's not a God of, of all of those things, then who is God? Because that's not the creator that I want to believe. I want to believe in the creator that is the author of all of that. That's what gets me up every day. And so that he reassures us and he promises that it's not going to overwhelm you in so much that you're not going to feel my presence. He promises us that he will steady us in the waves, that the ocean and the waves are not going to cease to be the waves. Life is going to be life, and the waves are going to come, but in that, he is the anchor that grounds us and centers us, and we have hope in that. We have hope, and we can rest assured in that, and that's beautiful to me. But most of us, Casey, feel lost, though. We start thinking that God isn't there. He's not there for us, that he's not going to show up or whatever. He's not going to, quote, be in it. We've heard all the messages, you know, God isn't going to keep you from it, but he'll rescue you in it and more, and it's like, God... When's the Calvary coming? When are you going to come down here? And by the way, in your new book, Raw Faith, and by the way, I've heard Casey speak many times, this woman can light it up like very, 
few I've ever heard in my life. Casey, listen, you go to the woman with the issue of blood for a moment. Why did you go to her? Because it's about faith, right? Right. She was the least likely candidate to trust God. She was the least likely person that I could find after all that she'd been through, 12 years of pain, bleeding, suffering, doctors telling her no, people rejecting her. Uh, you know, if you look back at the context, her husband had probably left her. She was probably smelled really bad, had no money. Who knows what she was having to do to survive? And this is the woman that just hears that Jesus is in town. I mean, she doesn't even know anything about Jesus. She wasn't the elite. She wasn't privy to that knowledge about who Jesus was, that he was the Savior of the world. She just hears that this guy is in town and that he's been healing people, and she is saying to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, then I will be healed. It is that faith that will change us. That's raw faith. That is where we are completely laid bare. We have nothing else. We have no one else, and that is exactly where God wants to take us and she believes, and she finds him, and she touches, and she pushes her way through the crowd. You know, she's sweating, and she's bleeding, and she's throbbing in pain and reeling, and, and she just touches the hem of his robe, and she is healed. Jesus, in that moment, acknowledged that faith, which was just as small as a mustard seed. Just faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. That's incredible to me. But there's a battle in the mind, though, Casey. At the same time, it's like, Lord, I'm believing, I'm praying, I'm reaching. But there was something unique about her, though, Casey, wasn't there? Probably a lot of people when he's going through the crowd are pressing and they're touching him. But he said, who touched me? Something happened when she reached, right? There, There must have been something different about her. Is there? Absolutely. That's the whole goal and the whole vision of raw faith is to challenge people. And and I'm the first to say, look, I'm that woman that's pushing her way through the crowd. That's where I am right now. I have not arrived. I'm not on some mountaintop of wisdom that says this is it, but I cannot go back. And I just picture her pushing through the crowd, pushing through the crowd. She couldn't turn around. There was no way back. She was there and she was completely laid bare. There was nothing else for her to turn to. And in that moment, when the power surged out from Jesus into her and he experienced that, I do believe, I mean, you know, there were other people touching him, pulling at his cloak, but it was her. It was her touch that released his power that he felt that he experienced on such an intimate level. And I believe it was because her faith was just like me with my bald head, sick as a dog, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't go to the, take a shower without being in pain. I just had nothing. I was crying out to him, and it was all I could do just to get up every day. And it's that vulnerable, raw place that I do believe God honors. Casey, you don't have a problem with doubt. Oh. You've wrestled with God a lot. Just because you wrestle with God doesn't mean that you don't have, I guess, that kind of faith you were just talking about, right? How do you balance that? Help us in our hearts, because if we're wrestling with God and life's not the way it's supposed to be, it's confusing. You know that. You know, that's where I just really want to encourage and speak life into people, is that God is not surprised by our doubt. It's just like Peter standing there in the waves with him. We look at Peter and we think, oh, he took his eyes off of God, Jesus, and he began to think. Well, the Bible never tells us that Peter took his eyes off Jesus. The Bible just says that Peter saw the waves. So to me, I see us all Christians, we're we're trekking along, we love the Lord, we're looking at Jesus, but in our periphery, we see the waves. 
And it doesn't mean that we take our eyes off of Jesus. We still love Him. We still want more of Him. Uh, We want to know Him deeply, but we see the waves. And I think that's just the point, is that that is where He meets us, in the waves. The process is the point, not the destination. Because God wants us to know Him based on who He is, not what He can do for us. And that's real faith. That's the faith that He honors. That's the faith that will change us, give us satisfaction, abundance. It doesn't mean that we're not going to doubt. I go over in the book what toxic doubt looks like. Right. And so that's the difference. There's a toxic doubt from the devil that's very condemning, that's from us or from Satan or from the world, and it's a condemning doubt. It, It brings us down and it pulls us down. And then there's a doubt that's a simple wrestling with God on things that we just are not sure about, but it doesn't mean that we're not looking straight on into His eyes, and He is in with us in that place, showing us more of who He is every day. You know, and I mean, don't you think the Israelites felt that way as they're wandering for 40 years? <laughs> we know they experienced doubt. The place that I want to encourage people to get to through the book, and that I have experienced in my own life, is just that everyday abiding, that manna that He gives us every day that He gives us what we need for the day, the mercy for the day. And it starts over every day. And we got to go pick it up and we got to go gather it. But to wrestle with doubt, it's okay. It's the real raw stuff. Yeah. It's the kind of journey where you realize God's bigger, uh, Casey, than your emotions and your frustration. You're just a human being trying to make sense of a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. If you'll step back for a moment... You can also begin to see where God serendipitously drops into your life. Those moments that remind you that he's there. I'm thinking about November 29th, 2011. There was a young man named Micah Joel. Tell us about what happened. Well, I was rushed into the emergency room. They thought I had a blood clot. They really thought I was dying from the chemo, had an allergic reaction. And so I was rushed into the emergency room. I was felt like I was on my deathbed, just felt horrible and Lo and behold, a young nurse in training walks in named Micah Joel. And, uh, you know, God just used him just as a sweet reminder as, as he walks in and he begins to tell me his story. And he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. He'd had surgery and had this tumor removed. And they were telling him now he still only had months to live. But this guy was just so on a high of joy it just flooded out of him into the room and it spilled over onto me. And in that moment that God would be loving enough and gracious enough to send me Micah Joel. And then just a few months later, sitting in my bed, just really believing that I was dying and wanted to take myself out and I couldn't do this anymore. My daughter, my at that time, six-year-old daughter, um, seven, walks in at 11 o'clock p.m. out of the blue and says, Mommy, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, and I want Him to be the Lord of my life, and I want to serve Him the rest of my life, and I know that in Him are good things, and everything for the rest of my life is for Him. I mean, it's seven. It's unbelievable in the middle of the night, and so it's just these reminders that God is who He says He is. It is not always our circumstance. It is not what we can see, what we are going through. God is faithful despite what we see and when we are faithless, and He will give us these beautiful reminders of His love and His grace and His mercy, but we have to see them, receive them, be looking for them, but, but they will come. Hey, I love this story. February 3rd, 2012, why it caught my attention was February 3rd is my birthday. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to look at this one a little bit closer. 
And on that day, you're in a hellacious place. And the closet in your room, God shows you something again, tucked away. He had a gift for you for that moment. It was your mom's journals. Tell us about it. You know, I lost my mom to cancer two years before I was diagnosed with cancer. She was 50 years old, a beautiful woman who loved the Lord. And a few years before she passed, she would write in her journal, you know, all of her struggles and all of her things. She wasn't quite as loud about it as I am. (laughs) I just wear everything (laughs) on the outside, and everybody knows how I feel all the time. My mom was much more uh, introspective and internal, and she journaled a lot. And and so on that day specifically, that February 3rd day, I, I just remember it so vividly. I was, again, just wrestling, and I remember just being in my closet sitting there. I was trying to just do laundry. I just wanted to get the laundry done so that I could say that I was still a mother and a wife, and I could do a load of laundry. And even that task that so simple to, you know, had been so simple to me was so hard. And so I'm sitting in the closet crying, sobbing as I fold each little piece of underwear for my son and, and no t-shirts and I'm sitting there and I'm, I remember just slamming my fists on the floor and screaming, I want my mom. I just want to talk to my mom. I want to call her on the phone and then say, how did you do this, mom? How did you get through this? And I was just so mad. I was just so angry with God that she was gone, that I couldn't talk to her and now that I was going through this similar path. And I look over, you know, literally, again, just such a a spiritual awakening, and and my spiritual eyes pulled me in the direction just to look over to the left a little bit, and there at the bottom of my closet, under all my clothes, sitting right next to me, were all of her journals, and right there, pulled open, and I talk about it in the book, and I give the specific journal entry she wrote that day, but it was just specific to what I would have asked her. It was a specific response that she would have given me in that moment just what her struggles were and the hope and the power that God was speaking into her life despite her circumstance. And there it was, right there. I didn't even know that I had them. I just get goosebumps even telling you about it. It's just breathtaking what God wants to do. I just have a feeling somebody, they're lost and they're crying out and they're slamming everything and some of them are trying to get everything right in their life because they believe if they do everything right that somehow God will show up. And the Lord loves righteousness, but Casey, you, you bring this thing to closure by being what you call as anti-religious and you focus on hope and you talk about God. I mean, bring it home for us right now, right in the midst of it all, all the pain, all the suffering, all the stuff that's going on. Speak to our hearts. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12. Please, those of you who are going through these places, and, and maybe you're just listening right now and you're just sitting at your steering wheel in your car and you're just bawling because you don't understand why he would betray you or why she would disappoint you or, or the hurt or the pain or the abuse or the abandonment or the neglect. I just want you to understand that in weakness, God's power is made perfect. His grace is sufficient, and just know that He works out of redeemed desires. He will give you the desires of His heart, and they will guide you, and they will center you, and you will claim that, and you will believe that. I see it every single day where I work and live with these kids, the trauma, the abuse of the children that we bring in, what they have gone through. 
they are the people that will change the world. The people who have gone through tremendous pain and agony and disappointment, He will change the world through those people, the broken, bleeding, raw people of the world. To everyone who's lost someone they love Long before it was their time You feel like the days you had were not enough When you said goodbye And to all of the people with burdens and pains Keeping you back from your life you believe that there's nothing and there is no one who can make it right There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary And love for the broken heart There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing Our special guest today has been Casey Van Norman. Her new work is called Raw Faith, When God Picks a Fight. Last night I opened my dad's Bible, which by the way was in my closet. As I opened up the front page of it, I thought of a man who journeyed alone as a pastor in the hills of Pennsylvania. He didn't have a lot of people around him to remind him of who God was in his life. Journeyed through a lot of deep, dark days up there in the hills. Saw some mountaintops too. But what I saw in the front of his Bible was simply these words, take it to Jesus. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, in those times of trouble, Elohim, God is in the midst of them. He's there for you right now. That's been the theme of our program today. It's what Casey was saying. He's in the midst of it all. So take it to Jesus. Remember his faithful power and presence in your life. Don't get lost. Yes, you may be hurting, you may be confused, maybe filled with anger. God gets all that. And he's still right there, maybe holding you right now. Take it to him. He'll be faithful. That's why we come to you every day on this station at this time. We just want you to know who he is. We want to encourage you in your faith walk with him, to have a great family, and to know that he's in the midst of all that too. And the pain, he gets it all. One day, he'll make it all right. Until then, we pray for you and pray God's grace over you. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, lifeloveandfamily.net, our toll-free number, 855-455-3264, 855-455-3264. Thanks for listening to Life, Love, and Family. Life, Love, and Family. Women in Depression, get confidential help. one 877 257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs? Get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD? Get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 
1-877-257-9612 or TimberlineKnowles.com. Dan was so depressed, all he could do was lay in bed. He tried all different kinds of therapy, programs, medications. Nothing worked. But his wife says as soon as she saw the website, aplaceofhope.com, she knew that that was going to be the key to her husband's healing. And it was. Aplaceofhope.com. They don't just treat depression. They treat the whole person. If you've tried everything and you or someone you love needs help with depression, call 888-771-5166 or find out more. Aplaceofhope.com. 